People are always asking, what does RGGEDU stand for? Nobody is 100% certain with 100% certainty, but I believe that it stands for really gross genetics equals demonic unicorns. I think that's it. Maybe. Welcome to the RGGEDU podcast, where Rob and Gary bicker about petty things while chatting with the best in the business. Season 5 of the RGG EDU podcast is brought to you by Ellen Chrome. The team at Ellen Chrome believes that photography, in all its forms, is one of life's great ongoing adventures, and they are firmly committed to creating lighting gear, modifiers, and accessories that make these adventures more fulfilling, productive, and rewarding. With the launch of the new ELB 500 TTL, adventurous portrait photographers desiring a TTL solution for both in-studio and on-location use can now join in on the fun. In this episode, we're joined with Monsieur Florent, <laughs> a.k.a. Brett Florence, yeah. photographer based right now out of the Netherlands, but originally from South Africa, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, awesome. I, moved to, I moved to Amsterdam about four years ago. Uh, I still travel back and forth uh, to South Africa and pretty much the world. Uh, so, yeah, but based in Amsterdam. What took you to Amsterdam? Oh, have you been to Amsterdam? Uh, many times. All right. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's <laughs> he just doesn't what took me to Amsterdam. <laughs> no, no, I do remember it, actually. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful country. Um, it, it's really cool for, for kids to grow up. And yeah. Do you ride your bike everywhere? Everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible. Aren't there more bikes than people in yeah. Amsterdam? Yeah. And I, I, when I first <laughs> heard about that, I was like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and after being there for three years, um, my family, there's four of us, I've got two boys, and we've got six bikes. And I was like, how did that happen? Yeah. Aren't there just, <laughs> aren't there just bikes laying around that you can yeah. pick up and take uh, and drop off? No. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's pretty much to the city here. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, there are bikes that people have just abandoned. Yeah. Um, I remember we were there. Um, and we'd been in a few coffee shops, and we were with someone, <laughs> and then they came out, and they're like, yeah, we'll just take these. And I was like, we can just take these bikes? And they're like, yeah, just drop them off. Yeah, all the bikes look wait. the same. Yeah. So I think maybe we stole bikes, but maybe we you didn't. You did. You'd come out of a coffee shop. Yeah, but when you say, co- yeah, exactly, coffee shop. Very yeah, different we, to we, I mean, we were cafe. really, really high. You, you, really, <laughs> you had a lot of caffeine, did you? Yeah. <laughs> Double espressos. Yeah. Double espressos. So Bike, bike thief. Uh, Brett, you specialize in a, a, a few different things. You do kind of fashion, weddings, portraits, editorial. Yeah. How do you how do you see your work? How would you define your your work? Well, you, you have to have a little bit of uh, background history to understand why I do what I do and the way I do it. Um, I was a policeman in South Africa during apartheid. Oh wow! Um, wow. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that was back in the early nineties, um, and. Uh, to cut a very long story short, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And through military conscription, you know, forced uh, military, uh, I ended up in the police force. And uh, they needed a photographer. And I said, okay, I'll be the photographer. I had no photographic inclination or any creative incli- inclination before that. Uh, and I ended up being a police photographer taking pictures of I didn't know that was people. a job. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, of yeah. dead people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah, like crime scene. Crime scenes, yeah. Poli- politically you motivated CSI crime. South Africa? That's it. Oh. But politically motivated crimes, township violence, it, it's really terrible. Yeah, you must have seen thing. some very, very difficult things. At a very young age. How old were you when you became a, a policeman? Nine, 18. Good God. Oh. And you were forced to do this. I mean, you had, yeah, it was you, military conscription, all white males. 
all white males have to go into the military somehow. And yeah, not the police, anymore. The police is somehow part of the military. Yeah, either either the police or the defense force. The, the, did you have Did um, you have an option? Uh, um, you could apply to be a policeman, um, but being a policeman, you were there for double the amount of time. But you uh, did get more money. It's quite yeah. complicated. But basically, it ended up that I was yeah a police photographer taking pictures of really horrible things, and um, I worked out how to make money with my camera. I was selling pictures to the, the newspapers, to Associated Press, to Newsweek, Reuters. Um, not officially, but, uh, you know, you've got to do what you've got to do to get by. I'm kind of uh, interested in, in <laughs> how you even started to figure out equipment and stuff because you're uh, very young and you hadn't had any photographic background at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you're photographing crime scenes probably in the day, in yeah. the night, in basements, in who, yeah. who knows where. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you start to figure out the, the the technology side to execute the images that you needed? You learn very quickly because it's you know on the job yeah. training and and you can't get it wrong. So a lot of the times we were using direct flash, mm-hmm. um, you know TTL direct flash, and it's pretty easy. It's basic. Yeah, um, you know, without without diminishing the the death and the destruction aspect of it, it's it's not you, you're not getting creative. You mean you're shooting it to record? You're documenting. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, direct flash is really not a problem. It's right. like, oh, there's a shadow on the wall. We're not, we're not no worried about that. Right. <laughs> you know, so, so yeah, I, I learned very quickly. And uh, interacting with photojournalists helped, helped a lot. And that's how, that's how I really got my first um, SLR. Mm-hmm. I, uh, it's very difficult to explain to somebody who hasn't, been to South Africa who, who, or who has, doesn't understand the South African situation. Basically, they said that I was the photographer, but they didn't have budget to give me a camera. So I went and bought a little point and shoot, and I was shooting with that. And one of the photojournalists said to me one day, like, why are you shooting with a point and shoot compact camera? Yeah. I mean, we were shooting film, obviously. Right. And uh, I said to him, well, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the way it is. We don't have budget for gear. So he gave me his Nikon F3 with a 55 mil macro lens, the ones with the aperture on the yeah. outside. It was it's so beautiful. Right. So now you're a real photographer. I'm at that a real point. photographer. Yeah. And that was, that's how I got onto shooting Nikon. And, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, I still have that lens in my camera bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause it's a great piece of glass. Yeah, but it's, sentimental it's, too. it's but yeah, I mean, you could see, I just got a bit of goosebumps there because yeah. for me, it's, it's, my it's my life is absolutely surreal right now. I mean, if you had told me 25 years ago that I would be in a studio in New York speaking to you guys, that's mind blowing. So for me. how do you how do you transition <laughs> from from being a a young police photographer in South Africa during apartheid to mm-hmm. sitting here having a, a career in photography? And how do you make those steps? Well, um, the the way I transitioned from you know, photographing death and destruction to what I'm doing now is really I started shooting for friends and family mm-hmm. um, and colleagues, which in hindsight is the wrong way to go um, because your friends and family are very similar to you in terms of social demographic, mm-hmm. which means they don't have money either. <laughs> <laughs> so you're working for free? Yeah. And they're yeah. not really going to give you no. good critical feedback too no. because their friends and family yeah. don't want to crush you. Yeah, so if I had to, I mean, looking back on it now, we never had the education that you guys are putting out, uh, that anyone is, you know, you could, you could get great education uh, these days where in the 90s, 
it was all about keeping your information to yourself. So to learn how to make that transition is very, very difficult, and you just fumble your way through it, which really means you start off shooting for friends and family. And what happened to me really was I ended up being quite good at what I was doing, you know, from the wedding perspective. And I was shooting 50, 60 weddings a year, and then I just realized, like, this is not sustainable. I, I'm just working all the time for no money. Continuously busy, but didn't have any, you know, disposable so income. 50 yeah, to 60 problem. weddings a year, yeah. and you were just kind of breaking even, not making money? Pretty much. Yeah. What were your biggest costs in doing that? The film. film. <laughs> we were shooting a lot of film in those days, um, and then studio rental space, because yeah. you weren't a real photographer if you didn't have a studio yeah. back nope. in the 90s. Oh, yeah, the, you know, overhead. Yeah, the the overhead, your, your fixed overheads. And, and then also just the knowledge behind the pricing aspect, because most photographers these days... Um, you know, I mean, there is education about pricing, but a lot of photographers, you ask them, how do you price yourself? And they say, well, I looked at this guy's work and I, look, I looked at this guy's work and I thought I was come kind of somewhere in the middle and mm-hmm. I priced myself like that. And, you know, if you look back on it, it who runs a business like that? <laughs> um, not many successful people. Yeah. And, and to understand that it is a business, um, you know, it takes a while because it's such an enjoyable uh, career that a lot of the times you sacrifice the the financial income because you almost feel guilty that you're so happy at work. So uh, you know you, you go well I'm I'm loving what I'm doing so the money doesn't really matter. Where you know when when you start to have a have a family and kids and you know grow up a little yeah. bit and you have responsibilities that you know things change. <laughs> yeah, my, when you have miles to feed, yeah, suddenly it's mm. a different ballgame. Yeah. What do you think your first kind of big break was where you're like, "Oh, yeah, that things are changing." Uh there were two. Um one of the uh the breaks that I had uh, right in the beginning and I, you know, look back uh at how my career uh, developed from this first shoot. It I was photographing uh, a real estate agent for his business card. And um, he, he walked into my studio, and I was on time. I was well-mannered. Um, I treat every single client as, as if they're the most important client that I've ever had because you never know what comes no. from that. And he really liked what I did from him. It was a mugshot. It's, like, it's really like an ID mugshot for your, for your business card. And uh, he said to me, you know, uh, do you photograph um, clothing catalogs? It's like... Yeah, yeah, I, I photograph clothing catalogs. And uh, he said, well, his wife is a marketing manager for a surfwear brand in Durban, and I started shooting for them. And from there, I uh, got pretty well known in the surfwear industry, so I was shooting for Roxy, for Quicksilver. Uh, and then I got a phone call, to, uh, and, and this, this uh, client said to me, um, you're the guy that shoots swimwear for Roxy, right? So I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they said, well, do you shoot... Underwear, lingerie. Yes, I shoot, under, <laughs> I shoot underwear. And f- I became the official Wonderbra photographer for 11 years. So that was a, that's right a small on. break, but in yeah. terms of the big, you know, in terms of the big picture. Had a big effect. That yeah, one, it's a that big effect. Client. And I think it, there's more of a story to that. It's like treat every single client yeah. as if they're the most important client you've ever had. Yeah, yeah. Your, your business card headshot yeah. led to very, very large and repeatable clients. I mean, you're, that's one of the things that's so important about gaining clients anyway yeah. is, is having them come back over and over again. Absolutely. I mean, Wonderbra for 11 years. That's yeah. a very long run. Yeah. And, and that's four shoots a year. Yeah. You know, because you're dealing with summer, winter, um, autumn, uh, 
you know, spring every year you, you're dealing with, like you said, repeat business. And, and then that gives you brand legitimacy to start shooting for, uh, I mean, I've shot for Puma, for uh, Under Armour, for Salomon, you know, because I was shooting for Wonderbra. Mm-hmm. And, and really that was, that, was, that was pretty big for me. And then there was another incident that happened where it was really weird because I came to work one day and I had so many emails that, you know, like five times the, the amount of emails that I would normally have. And uh, I started reading these and they were saying, Prince Harry's girlfriend, um, you know, uh, Chelsea Davy photographs Prince Harry's girlfriend. I was, I've never, I, what, are the, what does this all mean? And um, it turns out that I photographed Prince Harry's girlfriend, uh, Chelsea Davy. Um, when uh, she had come to Durban for um, for a like a senior's portrait, mm-hmm. and I'd shot her senior's portrait, and uh, she had given one of those photographs to her then boyfriend, and then she started going out with Prince Harry, and uh, that boyfriend ended up giving that photograph to the newspapers, to News of the World, and there was my name on the back of the photograph, and they contacted me, and that just exploded, you know, in terms of my career and, and the international exposure that I, that I had for that. And I, at the time, she wasn't Prince Harry's girlfriend. Wow, really? So, <laughs> so where did that lead? What, what doors did that oh, open? Oh, my gosh. That was, I mean, I had so many magazine interviews. Um, I had television interviews flown over to the UK to do live television interviews where they were asking me about how was it shooting Prince Harry's girlfriend and to be did you even remember shooting Prince Harry's girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) tell the truth not really yeah not really but but um you know you know if if it had been a terrible shoot I would have remembered it right you know and so so I was answering the questions very diplomatically and also you know I don't want to be walking the street and a red dot kind of like you know know, I'm going to say good things I'm going to say good things about that but that was a huge break in my career and and I got some good money for those photographs as well which enabled me to then you know make the digital transition because back then digital photography was really expensive mm-hmm. you know to to get a to get a, a d2x uh was it was a lot of money i mean a one gig micro drive compact flash card well not compact flash micro drive oh, one yeah. gig card you were looking at 700 dollars yeah $800 for Crazy. a one gig memory card. I remember yeah. those days. <laughs> yeah, and how many photos would fit on it? Like nine? Yeah. Well, but the cameras are also really different. Yeah. And we were the, shooting the, JPEGs. The D, yeah, yeah oh, the yeah. D1 that I had, my first digital camera. Um, actually, that was my second. Um, what was that, like 2.3 megapixels? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the, the Nikon DCS, Kodak DCS, that mm-hmm. was built on a Nikon N. An eighty body that was like a yeah. forty thousand dollar camera. Yeah, yeah, and, the, and, and you had yeah, to have a, crazy. you had to have a hard drive attached yeah. to your belt with a SCSI yeah. cable going to the the camera to store your data. Yeah. It's crazy. I remember, I remember the the first digital camera I got was right before I was moving to Australia, mm-hmm. and uh, I had gotten a scholarship to study abroad, so they paid for everything. And I was at the student loan kind of uh, office registrar or whatever and she's like yeah you you have a thousand dollars here um to take out and i'm like and i can take that out in cash she's like yep so i took that went right to best buy bought a podcast and a fuji point and shoot yeah and then went to australia and new zealand and it was like this is fucking awesome i remember <laughs> the, the the sd memory card that i had yeah. 64 megabytes yeah, yeah. and it was like Making photos, and I was like, there's so many photos. I can put all the photos out here. This is amazing. I can watch them instantly. This is great. Yeah, it was fantastic. 
Well, to be involved in that digital transition, I mean, if you think back on it now, um, I, I'm really, uh, I'm really happy that I learned on film. You oh, know, yeah, it, 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 to be involved in that digital transition, it also made you understand digital a lot easier. And well, not a lot, not a lot easier, but. Oh, you know, when we were that D100 uh, skin tones and, um, you know, if you think back, there were people that were saying digital will never take off, yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so, yeah, to be involved in that and to learn so much about what a raw file is and how it affects the way you shoot and... Yeah, I think it was it was pretty cool to be involved in that transition from from film from analog yeah. to digital. So, how would you describe the South African photography market? Is it were you a lot of competition, or is it? Yeah, I think it's pretty similar to yeah. uh, the rest of the, of the uh, of the Western world. You know, okay. very similar um, lifestyle to Australia. Um, uh, we were colonized by the English, mm-hmm. so uh, and obviously the Dutch. But uh, you know, I'm an English speaking. South African, so uh, our approach is is quite anglicized, um, and uh, yeah, we have the same issues that you have here with with uh, a lot of photographers fishing in the same pond, yeah, and yeah. the fish just getting smaller and smaller, <laughs> you know, um, uh, you know, high turnover of photographers, uh, but that opens other doors, you know. I mean, it's it's the same as in the states and 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 in the UK. Uh, in Europe, it's a bit more regulated. It's not as reg- it's not as regulated in South Africa, and I mean in the States as well. It's pretty regulated in terms of you know shooting at a at a venue where you need to have insurance. You need to be a legitimate um, company. You need to have a, le- a legitimate uh, business license yeah. to shoot in certain venues. I know you know if you're shooting in the park, it's not nobody's going to stop you. But um, in South Africa, there's no regulation, so the barrier to entry is. Nothing. Yeah. You know, anyone can be a photographer. How do you market yourself as a photographer in Amsterdam? How do you how do you approach um, I, future clients? I don't actually um, market myself too much to the Dutch market. Um, the Dutch are quite um, humble people, mm-hmm. so it's not really about look at me, look at me. So the weddings that they have there are very low key. Um, it's really just get married and have a nice dinner with your friends and family. It's not about the big dress and the and the you know. The lavish weddings. So you moved to a market that doesn't hire wedding photographers. Yes, <laughs> yes, I did. A wedding but, photographer moves to a market uh, with no weddings. Yeah, but for right. a very specific reason. Yeah, because I shoot destination weddings. <laughs> the common notion is everything imported is better, right? Yeah. So that wherever I go, I'm imported. So a lot of the times, you'll find that the clients that I have will be, uh, you know, saying to their friends, ah, "Yeah, we flew this guy in." Nice. <laughs> where do you go most of the time? Do you are you everywhere? Where, where are the destinations that are the most popular for you? To? Um, you, it, it really depends on where you want to target your specific market. And right now, uh, the Middle East for me is quite big. Mm. Um, yesterday morning, I was in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Wow! Um, I flew in last night. I landed last night. Um, so, the Middle East is is pretty big. For example, Dubai. Dubai is, is a really good hotspot at the moment um, in terms of getting uh, destination work because you'll have a Canadian bride meeting an Australian groom, and because they they're so far away, uh, you know, from Dubai, either families they they say, well, let's get married in Dubai. Um, so Dubai is becoming a destination for foreigners to just 
go and get married there? No, foreigners that work there. Oh, that so work expats, there. Okay. expats that work there. Right. You'll have, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. You'll have people that are working in Dubai. Sorry, I should right. have clarified yeah, yeah. that. People that are working in Dubai, um, they will get married there. And it's also an opportunity for their friends and family to experience uh, their lifestyle, you know, to go to, to that sure. area of the world. Yeah, yeah and, and also for me, uh, it's a perfect stopover because I still have a house in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So if I'm traveling from Amsterdam to Durban, I go through Dubai. It, it's a it's a it's a common way to travel. Right. So I go through Dubai. I stop off there for a few days, do a couple of shoots, and then head off to Durban or the other way around. So yeah, and then um, uh, I shoot in the beautiful locations: Mauritius, Zanzibar. Uh, you know those areas that are probably five or six hours flight from south africa mm-hmm. so uh, a lot of those clients are south africans that are getting married in zanzibar or yeah one of those gorgeous sounds yeah. gorgeous <laughs> how much of your time are you on the road a lot yeah a lot and it's it's uh, I, I don't want to you know diminish the incredible life experiences that i've had uh, i've been to so many countries that i would never have ever had the opportunity to go to but it is really tough on the family yeah uh, i'm sure you know it's that really my next tough question is how yeah. does that how does that affect and how often do you get to bring your family with you? My wife is with me here now uh, because it's a cool place to come to. You know, um, if, it's a, if it's a country that I'm going to that she feels that, you know, don't really want to go there, uh, then, you know, she'll stay at home. Um, she, has a, she has a job herself. Uh, you know, she's a, she's a writer, so she's got her own career that she's looking after. But, you know, this is all I know. Yeah. So it, it's... It, it, it sounds like I'm uh, complaining about it, but it's, it's an incredible career to have. But this is all I know, so I really have to ride this wave. CSI yeah. Netherlands. <laughs> I mean, that, no, I no cri- is there a CSI you know, Netherlands? You know, I was there for I was there for six months. The headline on the news was that they are closing down six prisons in the Netherlands. They didn't have enough prisoners. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's incredible. I, you know, Unbelievable. A lot of the, a lot we don't of the, have that problem. Here, you know, <laughs> so maybe, maybe that's what we need to do. That's we need, a lot we need of the, to the Northern prisons. European countries, like you could probably literally walk out of the prison. Yeah, it's uh, well, like, I, I wouldn't know that, but <laughs> no, there's such low security, and they're like, yeah, if you need to leave, you you can leave, but we're gonna what? be after you. Yeah, it's the complete opposite of what. Wait, wait, wait. If you need to leave prison, you can. Yeah, you you could literally walk out of prison. That's that low security. They're so focused on rehabilitating you and getting you back into society and you know turn you into. It's such a progressive way of thinking. It really is, and it works. Yeah, it works. Our prison system. I mean, you go in a criminal and you come out a professional criminal with connections. (laughs) Yeah, and you come out with no opportunities. Stab wounds. Yeah, to stay in the criminal. Yeah. World. yeah, it's unfortunate. It's I mean, a huge yeah, problem I'm, in America. You know, I'm not denying what you're saying, but you know, it 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 may be not as easy to just walk out of the prison. But what what you're saying is that they treat you more like an adult, and they they treat you a bit more humanely and look yeah. look to improve, you yeah. know, and and you know sort out all the problems. So so yeah, yeah, there won't be any work for me yeah. as CSI Netherlands. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So you're. Also a Nikon ambassador. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, how did that, for Middle East and Africa. Yeah, how did mm-hmm. that come about? Well, you know, I often get asked, how do you become an ambassador? Because everybody wants to be an ambassador these days. Um, and 
basically I say to people that you need to make yourself marketable and yeah. you need to uh, do something that makes you differentiate yourself from everybody else that wants to be an ambassador. So uh, around 2006, when um, the education side of things was picking up in terms of photography, um, I bought um, an, an American photographer's um, DVD box set on you know marketing yourself as a as a wedding photographer, and uh, I watched those videos and realized that he was telling us enough for us to think that he knew what he was doing, but not really telling us absolutely everything. So I decided to make my own video, and uh, I. I uh, was shooting a wedding and I got mic'd up and I had my own video crew film me photographing a wedding and whilst I was going through it it was you know it was a documentary basically about how I photograph mm -hmm. weddings I edited all of that I had it all ready and then I took it to Nikon and I said this is what I've done could you give me some support in terms of marketing it and they watched it and they were so blown away they were like can we sign you up as a as an ambassador nice. so I'm not saying that's going to happen, yeah. but you can't just approach, approach a company and go, hi there, I'd like to be an ambassador. You really yeah. need to make yourself marketable. And instead of going to the company and saying, I would like to do this project, would you, would you back me? Just go and do the project right. and then go to that company. Prove it. Yeah. Prove it first. Absolutely. That's, that's who they, they're investing in. They're yeah. investing in photographers who have proven it, not mm. who just come to them and say, hey, I want to do this for yes. you. Or I want free gear. Yeah. <laughs> Get some gear. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your responsibilities as a Nikon ambassador? What are you obligated to do or travel to? Or Well, I've just finished a Middle East and Africa tour, uh, uh, launching the D850 for, yeah. for Nikon. So um, I spoke at various uh, events. Um, I've, I've just come back from Oman, Kuwait, um, Bahrain, Dubai, and then yesterday, Saudi Arabia, as well as Nairobi. So I was, my heart was beating so fast last night at immigration, you know, just <laughs> for them to say, have you been to any of these countries in yeah. the last six months? Or like, yeah. All of them? Yeah, D, yeah. all of the all above. Of them. <laughs> and a farm with livestock. Yeah. You're double fucked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I never yeah, so answer that question. We're always in farms when we go to countries. <laughs> I never, I, damn it. I just incriminated us. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. I speak. I speak for Nikon um, at, at events. Um, I, I give them content. So um, behind the scenes video, behind the scenes photographs. Uh, I write blogs for them. Uh, literally, just be a nice guy and nice. talk talk about their products. You All know? right. Be honest. Yeah. Are you a little jealous? Are you a little jealous about the whole mirrorless thing going on? You're stuck on the 850. Well, mm -hmm. the 850. You know, you can shoot at mirrorless. Um, you know, with the touchscreen uh, LCD at yeah. the moment, you know, uh, press the press the LCD. Are and you a little jealous of the whole Sony thing going on? Little, not, not really. No? Um, okay. You know, if you if you look at, um, you know, in, when they start talking about the benefits, yeah. the first thing they talk about is weight. Yeah. Okay. But if you weigh the camera and the lens together, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. As, as, it's uh, just way smaller. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I really like the feeling of that D5. You know, the, 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 the way it... Well, the bulk of yeah. grip. Yeah, it, it really it. feels the, like... The mirrorless cameras, I think, are fabulous in yeah. many ways. The one, the one problem I really have with them is they just don't... And I don't, I don't have giant hands. They don't yes. fit in my hand well. Yeah. I need a bigger camera. Well, <laughs> but not only that, for, for me, it's more about um, what it looks like. 
I mean, <laughs> if I'm at a wedding and I've got like a really good big camera and a big lens, people take you seriously. Yeah. Right. Um, no matter how how good the gear is, if you've got a, a little, you know, yeah. it, it, it might take a better ca- a picture. I'm saying it might uh, take, a, take a better photograph. But, you know, do you really look like a real photographer? It's so a, for me, it's really about yeah, yeah. That, that perspective. You know? So what's in your camera bag? What, what do you always travel with, no matter what? Well, that, that, well when you say travel, travel with no matter what, it depends what country you're going to. Because um, if I'm going to a, a country where uh, perhaps I shouldn't be working there, uh, um, no. then I'm going to go in with very little gear and I'm going to hire on the other end. Uh, I'm going to rent gear on the, on the other end. But if, I, if it was... You yeah. know, no holds barred, and you can take what you like. Then uh, the D5, the Nikon D5, with uh, the 70 to 200 2.8. That's my go-to, my yeah. go-to lens. And then the uh, 105 uh, f 1.4, uh, the D850, and yeah, that's pretty much. I mean, the wider angle lenses are, are cool, but I don't use those yeah. as much as the 70 to 200. What percentage of the companies that you countries that you go to are you really not supposed to be working in? I'm incriminating myself. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just How curious. You, I, you know, just a few. Whatever. Yeah, there are, just, there are a few. You know, curious. you've got to you've got to weigh up the risks yeah. because you really don't want to be turned away at at the border uh, for a really important gig. Yeah, if you're doing a destination wedding and you get turned away at the border and yeah. you can't show up for the bride, and that's room. a real, real. Has that uh, ever happened to you? Yes. Oh, what happened? Not, not for a wedding. For a commercial gig? <laughs> tell us the story. This is good. This tell is us good. the tell story. Us the story. Yeah. yeah. Let's get it. Let's get the dirt. <laughs> yeah, it, it has happened um, to me. Uh, you know, it, uh, it's happened to me, too. It has happened to me. And, and, and Nobody I, f- keeps I find me it, out. I, find it, I got in. But it, oh, I didn't get in. No. I didn't get in. But, you know, that brings me to a point where, you know, there are people out there that uh, you know are advocating that if you want to photograph destination work that you just put up a Facebook ad in Paris France and you can just go there and land and and I I just think that's irresponsible you know I think that if you are going to attempt to do things like that um, you really have to do your homework and weigh up the weigh up the risk versus reward is it really considered working abroad if an American couple hires you to go to Paris with them and you pay them. It's a gray area. You know? It's like, a gray I area. I don't think that's considered working. For abroad, example, right? for me to come and speak here yeah. at, at uh, PPE, um, if I was being paid by an American company, I'm not allowed to come here. So, you know, getting, getting money, that's even flights and accommodation. But so, you're being paid by a Japanese company. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not here for Nikon uh, uh, right now. Uh, in terms of my flight accommodation and honorarium for for speaking, um, I'm being paid by Rotolite, the oh, okay. LED company, LED oh, cool. lighting. So, so you've. I mean, you could get it. You, you, you could very easily get in to yeah. to most countries. Um, you know, if you've got the right hotel booking, if you've got. Uh, you know, if, if you don't arrive there with your big backpack and your tripod sticking out, yeah. you know, you're not going to raise too many alarms. But uh, I, stand, I tend to stick to countries that are pretty easy to get into. Yeah. I remember when we went down to Brazil to shoot our tutorial oh with God. Dixie, who's also mm-hmm. a Nikon ambassador. Yeah. There's, what, nine, nine of us flying down there, and everyone has yes. two carry-on bags and two Pelicans. Mm-hmm. And 
myself, Dixie, and her assistant were the three that got flagged. Yeah. And everyone else got to like got go, go by, and we were like shedding like at the last second, like, all right, take my Pelican too. So <laughs> it's, it's we, crazy. Go, we go through, and then the guy gets us there, and he's asking. He doesn't speak any English, first mm-hmm. of all, mm-hmm. which is a little weird. Doesn't speak any English, and sits us down, starts opening, and like. He gets the Pelican with probably 14 Nikon lenses oh. in it or something, just an insane amount of yeah. lenses that we all collapsed into one Pelican. And you're telling me you're a tourist. Yeah. yeah. All right. And we're like, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're a tourist. And then he opens up another one, and it is two drones. And then he opens mm. up another one, and it's like you know, four of our Canon cinema yeah. uh, cameras. And we're like, we're, we're just, just down here to, to film. He's like, okay. And he makes us fill out all of this declaration that oh. we're here. So we're yeah. filling out all this declaration. I'm using Google Translate on the computer next to him to like have a conversation with him. So we finally get through. So you don't even have to pay anything. I didn't pay anything. No bribe? And, and, no, no, no bribe. bribe. Never I, even asked. I just, I just had to pay a bribe to get into Kenya. Yeah. yeah. So, so then really? I have this declaration. He's like, all right, show this on the way out. You're going to have to just make sure that you have that. Mm-hmm. I didn't show anything on the way out. I just walked right out of the country and was like, wow, this is super inefficient. How often do you have to bribe your way in, in and out of countries? And what does that cost? Uh, I, for me, it's happened twice, uh, and it was a hundred dollars. Yeah, not bad. Totally they just shake it. you down, say sorry, you can't come in unless you give me some cash for right now. It's pretty random. Um, what happened to me? Uh, and I was speaking for Nikon. I was there speaking for Nikon, so totally legit. Yeah. And uh, there was a, an incident that happened in the uh, in the queue whilst I was waiting mm-hmm. to go in, and I pretty much. Um, stuck up for some guy who had been who had the wrong form and he was trying to get back into the front and i didn't mind if he came back in front of me i mean it's like one person it's not gonna make a difference and uh the immigration officer officer came to him to just you know assert his authority and uh, said to him no you have to go and stand at the back of the queue again and i said no 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 he he was here and the guy said oh you come come with me really yeah (laughs) and i went into an office and he just sat me down and he started reading the newspaper, looking at the TV. It was, yeah, I mean, it's just, and I'm he like. just made you sweat and yeah, wait it out. Yeah. And then eventually he said, you know, I've got the power to let you in or not let you in. And, you know, and, I, and then I'm, yeah, I'm from South Africa, so I know what corruption's about. And I understand yeah. the, the signals when he says, you know, mm-hmm. how can I make this easier for you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they take you. Yeah. How are we going to solve this yeah, problem? How are we going to solve the. Yeah. He's asking me. Yeah. He, so you have to mm. propose it. Yeah. Yeah. Can, so, I, can mm. I ask you a question? <laughs> you about, can. I don't know yeah, if I'm going to answer it. About, <laughs> so this is a little off. I, do, yeah. I want your opinion. Yeah. So I'm curious. What did you think of Leonardo DiCaprio's accent in Blood Diamond? I think Was it, of all the actors that have attempted it, he did one of the better jobs. He did one of the better. Okay. Yeah. Did, could you tell though that he wasn't native? If you didn't know who he was, would it would it pass? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. all right. No, it was good. It nice was. Job, it Leo. was good yeah. job, Leo. Yeah, yeah. It, it it really was. Um, there have been a few attempts, but I suppose I mean, if I attempted an American accent, let's I mean, try it. Well, I'm, let's well, try it. I'm not an actor, yeah. so uh, yeah, you know, um, it would it wouldn't be right of me to. Attempted. I'm. I'm yeah. not getting paid to do sure. that. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, there's also so many different accents from different areas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you got the southern that 
Rob and I love <laughs> talking like in coffee. German, talking me, German accents. accents. For me, the best is coffee. <laughs> coffee. <laughs> Boston. Yeah. So, all right. So what's next for you? What are you looking forward to the most in, in the future? What do you got planned? What have I got planned? Um, I'm really enjoying this education side of things. You know, um, without, without uh, you know, hopefully none of my clients will hear this podcast <laughs> uh, because it is, it is really for photographers. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, doing, doing weddings is rewarding and I enjoy photographing weddings, but I photograph a lot of high-end weddings uh, where I'm dealing with a lot of people who are entitled. And... When I am photographing those weddings, uh, I, it, it's fun, and I really enjoy creating amazing images. Um, but it doesn't really feed my soul, mm-hmm. because I'm almost um, cementing the notion that certain people are entitled. Yeah. Uh, but when I teach, it's to be, to have the to be in a position to influence somebody else's life that actually changes the course of their life that's mind-blowing for me you know to 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 have so many people say to me that you know you changed my career uh you you made it so much easier for me to do what i love and and some people have actually said to me you taught me that i didn't want to be a photographer and they're not photographers now and they thank me for it yeah (laughs) you know it's not a case of everyone i've ever taught is now super successful yeah um, but teaching for me is so so rewarding. Uh, you know, to, it, it's. If, I mean, we, we don't have hours and hours here, but to to break it down into a few sentences, I was an alcoholic policeman who could have died a few times. I got arrested three or four times for doing stupid, stupid things, things that I really regret, and things that if I look back on my life now. It's almost like a flatliners moment where yeah. I'd like to go and say sorry to a few people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, I went on the program. I've been sober 22 years. Oh, nice. Uh, and uh, that's why I laughed a little bit when you said you're going to have a couple of whiskeys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Clearly, I, I didn't do my research. Yeah, no, it's all good. It's all you good. You probably wouldn't have found that out. No, no you wouldn't have. Um, so, for me to be in that position where I've got such a positive inf- influence in some people's lives. It's just, it, so teaching for me, That's teaching. Awesome. I'd, I'd really like to go into yeah. teaching, but I still need to shoot to keep myself relevant. Yeah. So, so, you know, it, uh, there have been people that have just gone purely into education. Um, and, you know, you, unless you're shooting, you're not relevant. Mm-hmm. So you still need to be shooting those, those gigs. And, yep producing you know work for real clients because you, you can't be teaching people how to run a sustainable business and you're not doing that yourself that's awesome yeah yeah where can everyone go to find your work and follow you online and well um take your classes yeah uh, brettflorens.com and that's florence with an s f-l-o-r-e-n-s brettflorens.com and then uh, on the social media uh, platforms um Mainly Instagram. I'm, I'm working Instagram at the moment, particularly because the Middle East is really big on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's you getting it's, work off Instagram. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is yeah. it through hashtags or how are people finding you on Instagram? It is it is through hashtags um, and sponsored links as well, sponsored yeah. uh, posts. Um, you know, if you are thinking about destination work, do your research in terms of the target market that you're targeting. Uh, you know, what do they? What is their social media? 
um, you know, preferred social media platform. You know, Dubai is definitely uh, Instagram. Yeah. They've got restaurants that their menu is on Instagram. Really? Yeah. Wow. And you go onto their menu and you, you see what the food looks like. You read the comments of what oh, other wow, people have said. Yeah, it's it's so really they, amazing. They, they load up all the images, yeah, and then backwards. They load up all the images backwards. So it's so when you're reading it, it starters, mains, desserts. Oh yeah, and then um, yeah, basically you're ordering. That's a great well, idea. You're ordering off Instagram, and it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy as well, because certain items will get more likes and more comments. Yeah. So it's almost like a review of each. Meal, sure. Yeah. Terrible thing for me though is I'd go to the restaurant. I wouldn't be able to remember my Instagram password. I wouldn't be able to order. Any food. <laughs> well, it's not on your Instagram. No, they'd, they'd, no, they'd give yeah. you. They give. They oh, give they you give an you, iPad. They give you an yeah, iPad if you don't have one. But yeah, come most, on, everybody's got have. one. Yeah, everyone's got. <laughs> Actually, we have yeah. an employee that doesn't have an iPhone. Oh yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's not included on any. He's over there throwing yeah. his hands up we right now. We can't even text him. We, yeah, he's not part of the iMessage because it'll turn it green. All my texts. We got a group. We got a group message. Call him. He never knows what's going on. Send him a fax. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, he'll send him a fax. <laughs> Justin, get an iPhone, damn it! Wait, you're gonna That's order one tonight, yeah? I'm gonna try to. Yeah. So funny. All right. Well, Brett, thank you so much. Well, for I've got by. I've got some giveaways for you oh, for, yeah. your, for your viewers. Oh, you do? Hell yes. Yeah. 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 I've got uh, two of the latest videos that uh, I've got out, which is one is Destination Dubai. Nice. Which is my latest uh, documentary about how I shoot one wedding from beginning to end. And uh, there's a book that goes with that too. And then uh, a recording of my three-day workshop. So in total value, 250 Oh, awesome. Dollars. And I've got two of those for you to give to your uh, listeners. Well, thank that's, you. That's, that's awesome. Kind. We will post that in the links. You'll have a, a podcast Absolutely. page. We'll throw a picture up, some links, <laughs> all that good stuff. Cool. Thanks awesome. so much. We yeah, really appreciate thanks it. Well, thanks for your time. It's, uh, it's a really, you know, it's a privilege being here. It's a really, and I mean that, it's like an out-of-body experience for me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, to download this episode and all of Season 5, go to rdgedupodcast.com. And also make sure to subscribe and give us a review. We want to hear from you about Ooh. these episodes. Give us a review on the iTunes page with a lot of alliteration. A lot of alliteration. <laughs> a lot of alliteration. Because it's awesome. Cause, yeah, because it's awesome. Like a Dr. Seuss alliteration. Yeah, why not? Yeah. And rhyming. What do you, have you come up with a jingle yet, Rob? No. For fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been telling you to come up Don't tell on. me what to do, Gary Martin. Rob, that's my job. <laughs> that is not your job. That is not my job. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. Or maybe it's really great goats entertain delusional umpires. Rihanna getting groovy except during Umbrella. Rare grumpy giants exclaim disapproval of others. Is that it? Can I get a confirmation? Am I getting warmer? Season 5 of the RGG EDU podcast is brought to you by Ellen Chrome. The team at Ellen Chrome believes that photography, in all its forms, is one of life's great ongoing adventures, and they are firmly committed to creating lighting gear, modifiers, and accessories that make these adventures more fulfilling, productive, and rewarding. With the launch of the new ELB 500 TTL, adventurous portrait photographers desiring a TTL solution for both in-studio and on-location use can now join in on the fun 